This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, helping the people of the world to live healthy lives. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. The family dynamic has changed so much since the cleavers. The nuclear family, as we know it, does not exist, but there are many variations of the family structure. Some things still remain consistent. Every family dynamic, doesn't matter what it is, is still in need of help, advice, role models, and of course, a tribe of people to help them do their best to raise the next generation. This week, my guests are Dr. Lisa Ferrari and Dr. Carla Fry, clinical psychologists, authors, speakers, and experts in child and family psychology. So thank you so much and welcome to the show today, ladies. Thank you. I am a mother of two teenagers, and let me tell you, it is a daily roller coaster of emotions in my house. So my question is, do all parents feel slightly overwhelmed or always overwhelmed by their teenagers? Hopefully not everybody feels overwhelmed all the time, but I definitely think you're in good company. Teenagers today, adolescents, um, youth, are living a very different life than any of us ever lived. So, you know, traditionally for generations, people have fallen back on how they were parented as the, how they led in terms of their parenting. This generation is a completely different um beast because our kids are living significantly different lives than we lived, whether it's social media, whether it's the pressure to grow up very early, uh, whether it is the incredible schedule of most, most of our youth. We didn't grow up that way. I venture to say from all the parents that we talk to that most of us in this generation don't really necessarily want to parent our kids just how we were parented. In addition to that, you know, parents, although, you know, there is no manual, parents are way more informed these days. They want to read everything they can so that to ensure that they're doing a great job. And with that also comes sort of a lot of self-help ideas, et cetera, that really do involve parents learning how to take care of themselves as well in, in, in their parenting journey. And I think that that's something very different than what our parents were dealing with. So that busy, hectic piece is not necessarily just about the kids. All the clutter in your own head about the things that you need to be doing to be the best parent you can be through self-care. Yeah, yeah. Because we know modeling is what our kids actually follow. We take care of ourselves. We set them up to take care of themselves. And also research uh, is consistent that the better that the parents' mental health and health is, the better they parent. So the kids right. are better if the parents do take time to take care of themselves. And that's right. just fact. Right. So it is a busy time. Not only are you taking care of your kids, but you're trying to take care of yourself at the same time. And so I, I can resonate with that. I feel like I am more aware of my own needs, my own self-care, but I also struggle with the guilt of knowing that I want it and that I need it. Um, so how should I be navigating this? Should I be explaining this to my children that this is important, that it's going to make me a better parent, or do I just lead by example and make sure that my needs are met equally as theirs? You want to communicate it because as parents, are, it's our job to also set that example because we want that for our kids as well when they come to that stage in their life where they're a parent. We want to model that kind of self-care so that they're 
they're able to manage their own stress and take care of their own mental health while being the parent that they are endeavoring to be. And we want kids to understand what we're doing, right? If if we're frustrated and we go and put on a playlist and make a cup of tea, it's it's much more powerful um, to say, hey, you know, I just want to center myself before we carry on with the convo. I'm going to just do the tea and the, and the music because I want to come back and be the best version of myself. You, you are explaining it. The kids aren't thinking, oh, well, mom's tea or music is more important than me. Integrating, I'm doing this because it's going to be good for me and it's going to be good for you. And they see that. So they're they're not necessarily going to understand what you're doing by going to the gym or going to yoga or going for a walk with your friend unless you help them link it. They could just think, oh, they're ditching. Mom's got more important things to do. When you say I'm doing this so that for this weekend when I'm going to be there for you at the track meet, I'm my best self or whatever that whatever it is. You got to help them link it because they won't know. So it's basically about communicating with them so that they're always in full understanding of your intentions and what you intend for them as well. You bet. It doesn't leave any room for assumptions. So one of the things that I've noticed, so in my own private practice, I treat lots of families. So I treat like the members of the same family. And the one thing that I'm noticing, um, which is common across the board with many parents, is that we struggle with saying no to our children. Um, I believe that that's not a good thing to not be able to say no and to be afraid of their reaction. So why is this? And are you noticing the same thing? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's there's a conceived notion of some sort that just kind of like snuck in to many parents' brains that in order to be a good parent, you have to meet the needs of your child at all times. Uh, put, put a sweater on them before they're cold or give them something to drink before they're thirsty, uh, that that's being a good parent. And that we understand uh, that that is not actually setting uh, our kids up to be resilient, to be happy. And um, it low key uh, gives kids the message that they can't do for themselves, that they need us in order to, um, you know, to make themselves happy or they need to hear yes all the time. In addition to that, I mean, I think that we're also seeing a generation of parents who have been told no. Uh, in their in their own family or within their own childhood experiences and vowed to not parent that way as well, right? That they didn't like how it felt when there were maybe too many no's. And I think that where we're coming from as psychologists who consult with parents is, is, is there needs to be a balance and that no is just as important as the yeses in terms of their development. The no is what's going to help our children develop coping mechanisms to deal with their emotions when they're feeling frustrated, angry, let down, disappointed, whatever it is, we are actually preventing them from learning and being able to experience and problem solve, right? So as parents, we want parents to hear from us that the no is part of the job and, and to, and to, and that although it's really difficult to see your child distressed, we like to parent big picture. 
So it's not about what you're seeing in front of you in that moment, but it's all the things that they're going to gain in the bigger picture. And a lot of what we see, and we might talk about in this interview, is we're, we're, we're responding in the work we're doing right now in the clinic every day and in our writing and our speaking to that pendulum. It used to be sit there and don't speak until you're spoken to and know, and there's no explanation, and I'm not going to help you necessarily figure out how to self-regulate. Just shut it. Be quiet. Sit over there. And and then it swung over to, yes, anything you want, and my child can't be unhappy. And we're trying to help parents bring it into a healthier middle ground. No delivered without anger is the ultimate. No delivered with some backstory, not excuses, but some backstory when it fits, when it's relevant, and some coaching about how they might want to consider uh, dealing with their frustration or their anger or their irritation. I feel like I was parented like that. So, you know, I wasn't yelled at or screamed at, but no was no. And it wasn't really followed by a significant explanation. It was just, I just understood that if it was no, it was no. I mean, I still tried. I still asked, but you know, no was no. And I wasn't going to argue the point and I wasn't going to beg and scream and have a tantrum, which I feel is it's gone the opposite way. So I see that children are like begging and pleading and nagging until the answer is yes. And I'll say in my own experience, it's easier to be a yes mom or a yes dad or a yes parent for the, you know, in that in any case, than it is to be a parent that will say no with conviction and provide reasoning. So I guess you guys are in agreement that having saying no and, and allowing yourself as a parent to say no with an explanation is probably the best option. Absolutely. And, and like Dr. Ferrari said, it's the long game. The short game, it's uncomfortable for us to say no. Most of us want to say yes. But to think about the, you know, the, the two week, the two month, the two year plan, this is going to actually help my child. So it's not about just the comfort of either of us in the moment. It's about what we're the, the seeds that we're planting that are going to be amazing in the future, too. I, exactly. That's, I couldn't agree with you more. So we're going to move on to another big topic, which kind of ties into everything. Body image. So this is a real area of concern for, I guess, most parents, and it affects boys as well as girls. Um, let's talk about body image. What? How should we be discussing body image with our children? Should we be telling our kids that you're absolutely beautiful, that you're perfect, or should we be what should the conversation around that be? With everything we talk about, whenever possible, starting young. I'm talking six months old, one year, two years. But th for those parents listening and watching who have 16-year-olds already and you didn't quite start early, that's okay too. But when you're able to start early, what it really is about is how you talk about your own uh, vessel, and how satisfied you are and talking about my legs, which carry me up the mountain and my stomach, which di digest the cinnamon bun and like the magnificence of this of this body and how you how you take care of it. And you you ensure that that, you know, the best you can, you can't have 100 percent control that your your neighbors or <clears throat> your relatives aren't talking about themselves other folks on social media, celebrities, the neighbor. Did you see how much, you know, gate weight she gained? Did you see her in that outfit? Oh my gosh, I wouldn't be caught dead in it. So it's, it's, it's very much 
Kids are not necessarily even consciously when they're three, four, five, six, taking in exactly, wow, I'm listening to a body um, distortion conversation, but they're taking it in. So that's that's my part of it on the front end. And I know Dr. Ferrari has more to say about that. Right. Like, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, we can control our home environment, but we can't control the external the outside environment, whether it's school, activities, et cetera. Some activities really do perpetuate um, more concern around body image and being able to perform at whatever extracurricular uh, they're, you know, they're involved in. So there can be outside messaging that occurs for kids. In addition to all the social media and all the images that our kids see um, that are that are can be very triggering or or um, influencing in terms of what they hone in on or focus on in terms of their own bodies in their own natural comparison of, of their peers. Right. So there's that external environment. And so we we have some control over that in terms of how we speak to our kids about social media and the poses and the and the, and and, and um, you know, all the you're so beautiful comments and that sort of thing. We can coach kids about that. Um, mm -hmm. But sometimes kids will say things to each other that can sometimes register and really impact kids body image, even if even if as a parent you're doing all the right things. Like you're not doing the comparison and you're not talking about your own diets and you're not talking about your own dissatisfaction with your own body, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're mm -hmm. talking about health and wellness and wanting to be strong and healthy, right? As a means mm -hmm. of talking about body um, and taking care of it, we can't control the things that are said externally. I think the key takeaway right now is let's not try to be so guilty as parents. When we come back, Dr. Fry and Dr. Ferrari's book, Splitting Up How to Tell the Kids. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Ferrari and Dr. Fry were giving us tips on how not to raise entitled kids, how to raise kids who are filled with gratitude and kindness. However, these two ladies have also authored, authored several books. One of the books, Splitting Up, how to Tell the Kids is an excellent tool for parents who have to tell their children about divorce. Before we go into the book, there's one question that I feel is really important to discuss and to share with listeners. It's about raising kids who are filled with gratitude and kindness. That is really, really important because I believe that kindness and being grateful is really what's going to help the world go round, help us to perpetuate, you know, generations to come. So let's touch on that just a little bit. So when we say something like, you know, uh, my neighbor didn't have to drop off um, muffins for me when I rolled my ankle, but she did. I noticed that she took the time to put those together and she remembered that I really like zucchini and stuff and she put that in there and she walked it over. But we're helping our kids understand why we're grateful that that person thought about me when I rolled my ankle, that person 
uh, took time and care. Those are the constituent parts. I mean, you know, for politeness sake, we were always taught, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you. But without helping our kids to understand what is behind those words, it can be very rote. It can be just like uh, two words that are spat out of a child's mouth that don't really mean gratitude and really don't take into account uh, what they're receiving or what the other person, in, the, in my example, is doing uh, specifically for them. Like many things we talk about, it comes from us first, helping our kids to understand that it's much more than a polite thing to do or say. And you know, in gratitude and being kind, is it necessarily something that you teach, but you model? It's an environment. It's a way of being in the world. And so what Dr. Fry is referring to is speaking about the things that she thinks about. Right. Like, so she she's talking about having parents say out loud the grateful feeling or thought that they're having when somebody does something kind. And hopefully your child is in an earshot of way of in that in that in the vicinity to hear it so that it has some influence on their way of maybe being in the world with people and being able to feel comfortable expressing that. Not only did the muffin taste good, but that you appreciated that they took the time to do it because they've heard a parent speak about it in that way. And with kindness, I mean, again, we could easily talk for like three hours on this topic, but um, a, a little more direct kind of a conversation with our kids is, you know, how did you feel when you gave that uh, gift or did that favor or or held the door? How did you feel or, or split that on its head? How did you feel when somebody was kind to you, when somebody gave you their last slice of pizza or invited you to sit with them at lunch? The kindness doesn't just come from teaching kids to necessarily include the new kid or whatnot. It's helping them to, to get in touch with the feels of giving or receiving, and that will keep it going. If we can help each child to, to feel and attune and pay attention to that, then it's easy from there. Yeah, it seems like, you know, everything we're talking about always goes back to the simple fact that we really do have to lead our children by example. So we have to express kindness. We have to express gratitude. We have to, you know, let them know about, you know, they should be able to fulfill some of their own needs. So it really comes down to just living and leading them by example. When it comes to divorce, okay, is it better to divorce or slash separate than to have your children see you arguing all the time, possibly being unhappy, um, you know, being in an environment that is not always conducive to kindness and gratitude. Um, is it better to just say, that's it, you know, we're probably better off apart or to stay in a relationship that isn't exactly healthy for anyone? You know, there's not one answer, like one right answer to that. I think, I think it's a very complicated question just because everybody's marital situation or life family situation is very difficult. Um, there could be a lot of challenges and, and reasons why parents can't separate or need to be together under certain circumstances that might not be super great for them or their children. Generally, we know that the most negative impact on kids is family conflict, right? So, you know, if there's a lot of conflict in the family home, I think it makes logical sense to say it's best to not be together, right? However, not all families can maybe have that as an outcome depending on their own unique situation. 
Yeah. And divorce isn't always bad. And the answer isn't always to stay, especially if it's in a if it's in a toxic uh, conflict filled uh, situation. And so in the situation where, and we, we've been hearing this a lot lately, um, in that, you know, parents who feel that they want to, you know, kind of be separated, but can't afford to actually live in two separate dwellings. Oftentimes I'm hearing that they're remaining in the house, you know, kind of living two separate lives, but still under the same roof. That to me sounds like it might be, I mean, it depends on the situation, but let's say in the event that it's not the happiest of divorces or separation, how do we help children navigate that? What advice can we give to kids when their parents are going through this? Well, you bring up a very, uh, you know, a solution that some, some families are definitely taking, whether it's nesting and they get another small apartment and the and one parent goes to the other apartment and comes back and they they switch out or everybody stays under under one roof um it is expensive to split up a family and and to have two homes and and to get into legal costs and and whatnot but those um of course uh aren't the best reasons to do that if the kids still are are in a conflictual negative toxic environment it's very important that kids aren't tasked with fixing kids aren't tax- taxed with uh giving communications back and forth where kids it's very clear that kids didn't cause this that their their parents conflict is not their own now that's easier to say and harder to have them feel or to understand. It's easy again for Dr. Ferrari and I to say so. It's much harder for some parents when they're very angry or they're very hurt to implement. But having strong communication and boundaries and uh, an understanding about who's responsible for what in the family, how how to um, keep kids out of the conflict is really, really important. It can be a very messy time, can be a very messy time. And if if parents who are in high conflict were to ask us, should we stay under one roof for the sake of the kids? We would almost invariably say, if you've got another alternative, please don't do that. And in addition to that, if they were to ask that question, I tend to typically highlight the fact that it's not even just about the kids. We know from the research as well that the parents' mental health is is vastly impacted by um, remaining in the same household and nesting. So even if the nesting occurs where they go to a separate place and then the kids stay in the family home and the parents kind of switch in and out, over time, even like a three to six month period, we see major mental health impact on the parents. And so if the parents are in, their mental health is impacted, it's obviously not going to be good for the kids. Now, should the kids be the first to know? Like, when's the best time to tell them? Not when they're throwing the idea around in their head, right? Uh, or not even when one is clear and the other isn't. It's when both parents, whether okay. one is okay. on board or not, ha- where the decision has been made. It's when the decision's been made that the kids can be brought in. But before that, I mean, obviously, that's one of the main reasons we wrote the book, because people do consult with us and have done for for years and years. We're going to split up. How do we tell the kids Uh, before that? It is uh, an understanding that kids are going to do better on average when parents tell them together, same time, same place, not separately. 
and when there is a, a specifically agreed upon script. I say script, you know, I, I've got that, I've got that in air, air quotes. I don't mean necessarily that they're both sitting there and reading from an actual script, but when there's great clarity and uh, we say spend more time in this process than less. Have meetings about it. Have mediation about it. If you need to have your lawyer involved in the conversation, whatever you need. Um, it, our preference is to have your therapist involved if you're having a professional because um, then it's not about winning or losing. It's 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 really about collaboration and 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 being very clear about what um, the message is to the kids. I think one big question that I'm sure all parents have, and if I've ever thought of divorce or if I've, you know, been in a situation where some of my friends and colleagues are in that situation, I think the, the question comes up where, you know, you're always worried about your children. Do children generally come out on top after divorce? Are there long-term effects that we should be aware of? Should we be signing them up for therapy ASAP or do we just wait and see how it goes? Knowing your child is is really key. I think kids fare well when, like we had indicated earlier, when the conflict is low. Kids can be quite resilient if you leave them out of the decision making. Um, just because you know parents are divorcing doesn't mean now the kids have a and a vote in things that they still need to feel safe and secure with their parents and have their parents parent them both in a co-parenting type of capacity. If parents can, if parents can co-parent, keep the conflict low and get support for their kids, um, you know, where they're being able to speak to a neutral third party like a therapist, um, kids can do, kids can navigate divorce and can do fairly well. And what, and how we position it to parents is let's make this divorce a kid-centric divorce, right? Where it's about them and what it, and what they need and what's going to benefit them and not allow the parental conflict to to get in the way. You both have this um, e-course. It sounds so fascinating. And I want to touch on that before we wrap up the session today. It's called the Ultimate Kid-Centric Divorce e-course. Tell us about that. I mean, sounds like it's a great resource for children uh, to be able to navigate, you know, the idea of divorce. Is that what it's all about? It's targeted at the parents, very specifically walking through the do's and the don'ts and a lot of explanations behind some of the tips or the things that we've been talking about, the research, uh, the the outcome studies, uh, how kids do better. And it's very, very practical. Lots of worksheets and exercises, and it's broken down into nice bite-sized chunks where parents who have time or are super keen could blast through it in a week. Other parents who have less time on their hands could go through it over a span of four months if they wanted to. We've packaged it all up in a way where it's all the themes that come to us, like all of the issues that parents come to us and kids come to us about divorce, what's not working, how to navigate it. We've just really extrapolated all the nuggets of information and we put it into an e-course. Um, and we've made an incredibly rich and, and really, really powerful information that saves parents time and money um, having to consult with somebody over the next six months to deal with all of this. Well, Dr. Carla Fry and Dr. Lisa Ferrari, I cannot thank you both enough. This has been such an informative session. I can't wait to do this again and to focus on some other, you know, really important topics. But in the meantime, if listeners want to get your books, learn more about you, where and how can they do that? 
Uh, dropping on to our website for anybody that wants to, it's clinicallyhappy.com and our uh, Instagram uh, or our Twitter at Clinically Happy. That's amazing. Your website is an amazing resource, so I encourage everybody to go to it. You can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, ClaudiaMacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at healthyplanetcanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.